One of the things that we're doing, if you're new here, one of the things we do here at Heights Christian Church is we go through the Bible in five years period of time. And so how we do that is that six days a week as a congregation, we read together the word of God. And if you'd like to join us in that journey, you can go to the information desk. They have a schedule of reading. The entire year is mapped out for you. And we got to start that reading this week, which is really cool. So you can follow us that way by getting that schedule of reading and just reading with us six days a week, Monday through Saturday. Or you can go online to YouTube.com. We have a YouTube channel because we're fancy here, right? So YouTube.com backslash Heights Christian Church. And what we have there are devotionals based upon the, each day's readings. We read the entirety of our day's reading and our devotionals based upon that so that we can get a little depth of understanding. And then on Sundays... Our sermon is based in whole or in part of those passages that we studied. So this past Sunday, we uh, past week, we have read the first six chapters of Joshua. How many of you read the first six chapters of Joshua? Look at that. Look at the hands that are up. That's so awesome. Uh, what a great way to get our, our week started. How many of you have felt a little abandoned for the last few weeks because we didn't have those devotionals up? Yeah, some of you guys did. I, I totally understand. It feels weird because I hadn't been, you know, you get a routine of stuff going on. Even I do too. And it's like, I, I kind of miss doing this, right? So I'm glad to be back up and, and doing that together. Well, today we are going to go through a sermon based uh, in part on Joshua 1 through 6, this passage of scripture that we've looked at in a sermon that is titled, He Will Lift You Up. You know, it's always hard to succeed a legend, right? In both the pro and college football worlds right now, we are seeing the transference of some of these legendary coaches uh, and going to retirement or going someplace else. Bill Belichick has just left the New England Patriots. I, the only reason I'm not clapping is because he might be coming to the Falcons. So I'm pretty happy right now, okay? So... Um, but Bill Belichick has left the Patriots, and some might say, well, his best years might have been behind him after Tom Brady had left. He hasn't had quite the winning season since then. But the other one in the college world is Nick Saban. Nick Saban has just recently retired as well from the head coach of Alabama. And <laughs> you just beat him. You should be happy, David. So, you know, uh, but he, uh, he just retired having with Alabama, six national championships, seven national championships overall with LSU. He's considered, and probably rightly so, the greatest college coach that's ever been. And so here's the problem. Somebody else is now taking his place, already been hired, already hired the former, now former head coach of the Washington Huskies, which is funny because they were just in the national championship game, and now their head coach is at Alabama. And the question that has been coming up, right, has been how is he going to stack up to Nick Saban? Because there's this kind of unrealistic standard, right, that everybody's going to be like, you're going to go to Alabama and we're going to have a Bear Bryant and a Nick Saban. Well, you realize between Bear Bryant and Nick Saban, there's 30 years, and in that 30-year period of time, they only won one national championship. It was in 1992. You know why I know that? Because the head coach of Clemson, Dab Dabo Sweeney, was on that national championship team. That's how I know that. But in between those two, there were a lot of lean years. 
a lot of lean years. A lot of years where they didn't do very well. And now Nick Saban has left and somebody else is filling his shoes. And so there's been this question on talk radio that's come up. How can anyone stack up to Nick Saban? And maybe more importantly, how can fair success be measured when the standard has been set so high? Right? If we know he's not going to be Nick Saban, or we, we can't expect that he's going to be Nick Saban, then what is a fair standard by which to judge him? What if in 10 years he's won 10 games every single year but doesn't have any national championships? Does that make him a bad coach or a coach not worthy of Alabama? These are the questions that you're going to see for the, for the next few years if Alabama missteps and steps down the question's going to come down to where's that expectation lie are we expecting too much of the new guy not enough from that old standard of Nick Saban and these national championships basically every three years kind of a crazy thing I think that's where our American culture or maybe our worldly culture America just happens to be part of the world we often have the same questions as it pertains to spiritual success. That's why looking at the person of Joshua is the perfect place for us as quote-unquote regular Christians. Because Joshua is doing exactly that. He is following up the one who would always be compared as man. He's the man, and that's Moses. You get to go after him, good luck. Right? That's kind of it, right? Right? You're going after Moses. So what I'd like to do during this time is is talk about kind of the preparation for leadership that Joshua kind of had stepping up into that role. Because really, the first six chapters of Joshua are this initial time for him. It's actually a, a, it's actually a self-contained segment of scripture. If you go from chapter 1 to chapter 6, and I'll show you how as we step into this a little bit more. But let's look first at the background of Joshua. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, the first mention of Joshua at all in the scriptures is found in Exodus chapter 17. So turn with me in your Bibles. Oh my goodness. I was going to from my Bible app and I opened up a news app. Don't know what don't know what was going there, people. So So Exodus chapter 17. And so here's what's happened. The the people of Israel have just been delivered by God from the land of Egypt, from the land of slavery. And they're just getting their footing down. And we talked about this last year, but I want to refresh your memory for those of you who may not have been here or don't remember. And so when we go to Exodus chapter 17, we have the first battle that the people of Israel find themselves going up against. This is the first time they've ever had to fight on their own for 400 years. Because up until then, they were slaves. They were under the, the oppressive power of Egypt who did all the fighting for them. Now they're going to have to fight for themselves. And so we start in verse 8 through 14, we read this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. 
And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took up a stone and put it up under him, so he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. What an interesting passage of scripture. So Joshua is entered into, it's the first time you read of Joshua within the scriptures. And he's the one who's chosen to head up this army. And after this battle has been won, when the memorial is written down of it, God says, make sure Joshua hears this. It's a pretty amazing statement, don't you think? Well, just make sure Moses hears this. Moses was already there, right? Make sure, you know, the priests of God see this. Make sure Aaron understands what's going on here. No, make sure Joshua hears this. It's the first time we hear about Joshua in the scriptures and definitely not the last so when we go next to Exodus 24 what has happened is God has just had a meal with the elders of of Israel they had a meal face to face with God where they got to see God face to face and right after that we see the commissioning of God telling Moses you're going to come up I have commandments to give you that I've written on tablets of stone so let's take a look at that real quick Exodus chapter 24 verses 12 through 14 it says this and the Lord said to Moses come up to me on the mountain and stay here and I will give you the tablets of stone and with the law and the commands I have written for their instruction And then Moses set out with Joshua, his aide, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. So so notice, God asks Moses to come up to the mountain to receive these commandments. And Moses doesn't go by himself. He takes Joshua, who is now described as his aide. Up until this point, we know known him as commander of the armies, but now he's his aide. Joshua, his aide, his right-hand man, if you will, is now going up there with him. And so, obviously, we see how well everything went with uh, Aaron and her in charge, right? Aaron and her are down there, and they're like, uh, it's been 40 days. We don't know what's happened with Moses. So you know what? Why don't you give us all your gold earrings and because and, all the people are re- willing to rebel. You give us all your gold. And they go and fashion this calf, right? They bring it out. And they're all worshiping this. And of course, God tells Moses, go down, the people are sinning. But what's Joshua's perspective on that? Well, funny, scripture records what Joshua's perception is. Remember, he's been insulated, right? Because he didn't stay down there with everybody else. He's up there with Moses. 
So verse 15 in chapter 24, chapter 32, it says this. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of testimony in his hands. And they were inscribed on both sides, front and back. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there's a sound of war in the camp. And Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that they had made and burned it in the fire and he ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. Gross. Nothing less than what they deserved. They probably deserved a whole lot more than that, didn't they? They're breaking the very commands written on those tablets. But Joshua was ignorant about what was going on. Think about that. Everybody else in all of Israel was either participating in it, or you have Moses who's up on the mountain and communing with God, and then you have Joshua who's in this in-between place. He's near Moses, but he's not with God. So when God is saying, they've sinned, he doesn't know that. So he's coming down the mountain like, Oh, there sounds like a war. No, no, there's not a war going on. It's singing that you're hearing. And it's all the wrong type. We look in the next chapter in Exodus 33, verses 7 through 11. It says, now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of the cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. As a man speaks with his friend, then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. What an interesting thing. So Moses has a tent of meeting, and this is where he meets with the Lord. And when the cloud comes down and Moses confers with God amongst the cloud, all the people of Israel see and they worship God from a distance at the, at the, at the entrance of their tents. But Moses and Joshua are in this tent of meeting. And when Moses leaves, Joshua stays. Because Moses is administrating the leadership that God has given him. Fulfilling the commands that have come down from from heaven. And Joshua stays in that place. See, this is all a preparation for leadership that we would see bring to fruition later on because in numbers 13 and 14 when they spy out the land and they grab all 12 tribes and say get a leader from each of your tribe we're going to send you guys out joshua is among those leaders that goes out to the land they go and check out the land and they realize that they're mighty mighty warriors that are there and when they come back all of the 
Maine people are discouraged. Like they're like we're like grasshoppers to them. They have Anak that are there. We've got the Nephilim that are there. They're going to come and crush us. We live like little bugs to them. And Joshua's son and nine is like, no, are you kidding? God's on our side. And if God's on our side, they are the ones who are in trouble. My translation, probably different than yours. But we have Joshua and we have Caleb. Those are the only two that are faithful, but Joshua is one of those two. Remains faithful throughout that whole time. Numbers 11, cut back a couple of chapters. We see that uh, Joshua also has this teachable spirit because God is going to have a, a, an answer to prayer for meat that he's going to provide for all the people of Israel. And in doing so, he spreads his spirit among the elders of the people that are there. So we read in Numbers chapter 11, verses 24 through 29, Says so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together seventy of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the seventy elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad had remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been with Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. How's that for a prophetic utterance by Moses? And here Joshua is wanting to protect Moses as leader, as his status. And Moses is like, no, 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 you don't, you don't understand. This isn't a competition. I wish that everybody had the spirit of God, could prophesy, could do these things. Joshua was lightly chastened. So that his priorities would be right when he would lead. See, this is all preparation, right? Because as early as Numbers 27, we see that Joshua is the one that is chosen to succeed Moses. We can read that in Numbers chapter 27, verses 18 through 23, as, as, um, So we look, if we turn to those scriptures real quick, it says, So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit, and lay your hand on him, and have him stand before Eleazar the priest, and in the entire assembly, and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority, so the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest, who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and he took Joshua and had him stand before Eleazar the priest and the whole assembly. And then he laid his hands on them and commissioned him as the Lord instructed through Moses. 
Now, we're getting some clear succession here that God is saying Joshua is the next person. All the way in the end of Numbers, we see this, and it's mentioned all throughout Deuteronomy. It's over and over again, Joshua who succeeds you, Joshua who succeeds you. It's going to be Joshua who brings these people into the land. It's not you, Moses. It's Joshua. But he's brought before the people and said, this is the next leader. And let's see why. Well, think about it. As we've read those passages of scripture, let's think about the character of Joshua. What things could we say are representative of those who would be leading the one who is such a legend, right? We're talking about Moses being that legend, and now Joshua's going to succeed. And I want to tell you real quick, Joshua's not going to have near the exploits that Moses does, not even close. And yet, he's God's chosen to lead the people in that next phase in their walk with that relationship with God. So we see through these passages of scripture that number one, Joshua was zealous for the Lord and doing his work. That's what we see him doing every single time, right? He's the commander of the army that goes on out. He's the one who's talking, said, we can take Canaan because God's on our side. Who cares what they look like? I don't care if they're aliens from another planet. We got God on our side. He created all these things. Boom, we're taking care of business. So we see somebody very zealous for the Lord and doing his work. Second thing that we see about Joshua, Joshua didn't partake in the sins of others. While the whole Israelite community is bowing down to this idol worship on the golden calf, he is beside Moses a little bit further down the mountain. But he's there by his side, not participating. So while all all the Israelite community gets to drink water with gold in it, must be tasty, Joshua doesn't. Don't think about that often, do we? But it's the truth. Third thing, Joshua put himself in a place where he would always be encouraged by the right people. Man, he hung around Moses a lot, didn't he? He was his aide. He didn't start out as aide. He started out as a commander of the army. And then God said, make, tell, make sure you tell Joshua that. And in the ensuing chapters, the next thing we know, Moses has made Joshua his aide, probably because Joshua was hanging around Moses all the time anyway. He just wanted to be around the right people. Part of the character of a godly person, right? And the fourth thing is this Joshua made it his mission to be near God. Up on the mountain, remember, Moses was told, You come up. Joshua tagged, tagged along. In the tent of meeting where Moses is meeting with God, Joshua finds himself there. He's not at a distance like everybody else who's in front of their own tents. He's there in the midst of the tent of meeting because he wants that closeness to God. This is the character of the one who is coming after Moses. This is all preparation in becoming the leader God has called him to be. But there's a big difference between that preparation and actually doing it. 
Let me tell you something. There's a huge difference between me going to school and getting my degree in youth ministry that says, hey, you are qualified to teach youth about God. And actually walking in Heights Christian Church and creating a program or sitting down with youth and actually talking with them about God. There's a big difference. There's a long difference between those two things. You guys agree? Anybody's ever been trained to do something? You got your degree? I don't care what it's in. Business management, name, name whatever it is. I, this is my degree. Now go get you a job. Tell me how different it is. It's way different. You may know how to do your job, but you start adding people and projects and other stuff in the mix, and all of a sudden, it's a different creature, isn't it? Totally different. Well, now Joshua's time has come. And all of those things that we just talked about were super important in the making of Joshua to be the type of leader that God wanted for that time because he was following somebody he would always be compared to. As we go to the very beginning of Joshua's book, or the book named after him, first nine verses in Joshua chapter 1, it says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous Be careful to obey all the law of my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it from the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged for for the Lord your God will be with you. Wherever you go. He's told three times that God's going to be with him. Not leave him, not forsake him. He's told three times, be strong and courageous. Actually, he's told more than that. Because if you go further in the chapter, that's exactly what the people say. Be strong and courageous. It's a theme that's in the end of Deuteronomy and at the beginning of Joshua. And there's this understanding that in order for him to step into this role, you need to be strong and courageous. And you need to recognize where that strength comes from. It's not yourself. It's God. I'm with you. And it's interesting because as we read these six chapters of Joshua, we have this encouragement in chapter 1. Chapter 2 is the spies that go out and look at Jericho, and Rahab takes them in, makes this promise, comes and reports back and says, hey, the people are scared of us. God's going to hand us over to this this land. Chapter 3 
begins the ministry of Joshua as they begin to cross over the Jordan. Chapters 3 and 4, we see God parting the the Jordan River so they can make their way across. And they make a monument to remember what God has done in that place. Chapter 5 brings us to circumcision, this recommitment among the people. Because for 40 years as they wandered in the desert, they didn't follow the rite of circumcision. So now they're, recirc- they're circum- recircumcising themselves. No, they're circumcising themselves, right, as a commitment to God before the people there. And then we read at the end of chapter 5 through chapter 6, the battle of Jericho, which isn't much of a battle. It's all God doing it, and you kind of have the Israelites doing the cleanup work. In the middle of this, are some interesting things that are said about Joshua. When I say this is a self-contained passage of scripture, it's self-contained because the promise that God is with them is here at the very beginning. And then there's an amazing statement that's said in the middle of this in Joshua chapter 3. So Joshua chapter 3, as they get ready to start walking and going across the Jordan River, Verse 7 and 8, it says this, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all of Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the ark of the covenant when you reach the edge of the Jordan waters, go and stand in the river. Of course, doing so, we see the parting of the Jordan as much as the parting of the Red Sea. But That statement stands out to me because he's given this promise and he's made these plans and he's trying to be faithful to what God has put forth. And because he's trying to be faithful, God comes in before he has stepped a foot into the land of promise and says, today I will exalt you. Today I will lift you up. I will make you be seen by the people of Israel as the leader. That I am with you as I was with Moses. I think that's an incredible statement. I really do. And then we see at the very end of all of this. When we go to the end of Joshua. The last verse of chapter 6. So the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame spread throughout the land. At the battle of Jericho. And this is why I say this is a self-contained passage of scripture. We have, I will be with you. Be strong and courageous for I am with you. We see Joshua walking in that knowledge. Making those plans in that knowledge. Being obedient to God. Not worrying about what anybody else has said. And we have the track record. This is what he's done all of his life. And in the middle of this, before he steps foot in the promised land, God's saying, I will exalt you this day. I will do this. People will see you as a leader. I will do this. And after the battle of Jericho, everybody knew about Joshua. His fame spread throughout the land. He wouldn't have the fame of Moses. But he would have the respect of being the leader of the people of Israel. Commissioned by God for that time, that place. It's interesting because when we look in James chapter 4, and we're talking and we talk about things that we have to be aware of, because 
that, that American attitude, I think, of bigger and better, right? All of us struggle with that to a certain extent, that the idea of success in our minds is always bigger and better. Think about it. What makes for a successful corporation? We, we t- talk about it makes a lot of money and it employs a lot of people and it has this much influence. We talk about all of those things as measurements of success. I'm not saying that's devoid of truth, but it's not the whole truth. It's oftentimes lived out without those things, right? And we can have a very jaundiced view of success a very jaundiced view of what it means to be faithful if all we're looking for are just big numbers, right? If we're not doing things this way or that way because it's all this other, this other place over there doing that. And like I said, it doesn't just hit the business world. It hits the Christian world too. I can't tell you how many pastors struggle with the idea of numbers in their churches. The idea that we need A lot of people here because the person before us did that. James seems to chasten us a little bit. Because one thing you can say about Joshua, I believe wholeheartedly, is that he is a humble man. He let God exalt him. He didn't look for that gravitas of that title for himself. He just wanted to be obedient. And God said, I'll exalt you as a result of that. And as a corrective, as James is talking to the people in this church, that in these churches that he's addressing here, he hits on this. So James chapter 4, starting in verse 6, it says this, but he gives more grace. Isn't that great that he gives more grace? Because heaven knows you and I need it, right? And he starts with this corrective with grace. But he gives more grace. That's why the scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, the whole reason that we are to weep and mourn and wail to purify our hearts, to change our laughter to mourning is because if we've been caught up in worldly things, those are not the things that God celebrates. That's what the context, the previous verses before do that. But what I want to point out in these verses right here, think about verses 6 through 10 and how this describes Joshua. Remember, Joshua was zealous for the Lord and doing his work. Submit yourselves then to God. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? Joshua didn't partake in the sins of others. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Joshua put himself in a place where he could always be encouraged by the right people. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Joshua made his mission to be near to God. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. See, what I see in Joshua is humility. Of wanting to do what God wants us to do and not really caring about title, numbers, whatever else is going on, right? I just want to be faithful in the things that I do and God, as a result of those things, will lift me up because I'm worried more about him than I'm worried about anybody else and what they're saying. And we see it. Like I said, the proof is in the, in the pudding, right? Joshua pudding. 
something for us to think about as, as believers in Christ. You know, if you hang around the church long enough, you meet the right people here, and there are a lot of right people here. You'll hear about the heyday of heights. We had about 800 people here back in the 70s. Place was filled. You had the Koinonia with the young adults and the young people who were all there, and there were about 200 people that were there. And, and there can be a temptation to try and create a Heights Christian church that is replicating the heyday of, of the past. If we could only get back to being that church where we were so well known and we were one of the biggest churches in Albuquerque at the time. And some, rightfully, might hear when we talk about having 200 people here as we started talking about, might mistakenly and rightfully have caution to think this is what we're trying to do. I, I will assure you that's not the heart behind it at all. Not the heart behind it at all. The idea is for us to be faithful. And if we're faithful, we should be reaching out. And if we're reaching out and we reach one, we should see people coming here because we're being faithful. 200 is just a number. I think it's a good number. I don't think it's a bad number because it, I think it's big enough to make us all realize we have to be involved to make that happen. But obviously, God is the one who causes the increase. We should never lose sight of that. And it's hard to tell the age in which we live because, you know, man, it'd be great if we, we could have that dynamic person or personalities or people who are just so faithful and we're just seeing a growth. There's a lot of factors toward growth. So when we look at the parable of the talents, we're going to look at it maybe a little bit differently than you guys have ever seen it before because I'm reading it in accordance to the one who hides it away. Not today. Matthew 25, it says this, starting in verse 14, Jesus talks about this parable. He says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. And he went on his journey, and the man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you trusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And this master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Do you notice what happened right there? This parable that Jesus says, he says that the master entrusted all of his estate to these, to these people. And he gave to them each according to their ability. And you'll notice their abilities weren't the same. Some people were given five talents to manage because they could handle it. Some people were given two 
talents to manage because they could handle it. But in both administrations of those giftings, God's answer to those faithful servants was the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. And see, here's the deal. I don't know where we're at in our culture today. We could be as faithful as we want to be, share the gospel of Christ as well as we absolutely can. And we may come across hardened hearts every step of the way. Jeremiah did. Didn't have a whole lot of faith. He was faithful in all the house of what God wanted him to do. We didn't see a whole lot of conversion during Jeremiah's time, did we? And other times we see an explosion of faithfulness. We can look at the Gospels and we can look at Acts, which we will be looking at later on this year. And we see God move in amazing ways. And we're going to see both the feast and the famine of the outreach that happens. And in both cases, God is only concerned about us being faithful concerning the ministry that he's given us. So when we say 200, maybe at the end of the year we're at 175 last week we had 125 here maybe we get to 129 praise god but you know what god's calling you and i to be faithful that he will exalt himself and exalt us if we're faithful that's the whole point behind saying 200 by the way is to find us faithful because if we're faithful we should be telling others about jesus and if we're telling others about jesus hopefully by the grace of god we will see that transformative change as we see co-workers and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters come to jesus christ wouldn't that be awesome i'm not a numbers person never have been the 200 is just a number and if it's a stumbling block to you cast it aside because here's the thing the goal is faithfulness and this altar is going to remain open so that we can pray and be faithful to reach out to those who need Jesus and for all who accept that challenge and all who accept that call to come to Jesus Christ we're going to rejoice for every single one of them whether it makes our congregation 148 or 437 but God wants you and me to be faithful God wants you and me not to compare with things of the past. God wants you and me to make sure that the ministration of the ministry that he has given us, whether we are in a five-talent age or a two-talent age, is faithful to him that we might hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. That should be every one of our goal. And if we do that, According to the life of Joshua, according to what we've seen here in the scriptures, I believe 100%. Because we're going to be faithful first, God will lift us up. And he will exalt himself to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And with that, all of us will rejoice. Let's just find ourselves faithful. Would you stand with me? Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God causes the increase. That's the truth. That's what's going to happen here. In this place, as you and I are faithfully sharing the word of God to those around us. It's why this altar will remain open 
And if you have somebody that you want to pray for, that God is burning your heart, that you're supposed to be reaching for Jesus, you come here and just pray. Our elders are going to be on the side for any other prayer needs, prayer requests, things that you want healing. If there's healing, we want you there. We have our prayer warriors with Dave and Elizabeth. They'll be here as well to pray for any who need prayer. Let us be faithful. Let God exalt himself through our faithfulness. I want to see 200. I want to see more. I'll be honest with you. I want to see more. You know why? Because Jesus died for them all. And 200 is just a number to motivate you and me to to faithfulness. So let us be faithful. Let us exalt God. And whether we are in a time where we're going to look like Moses or we look like Joshua, he'll be honored, he'll be glorified, and he'll be happy. God, thank you so much for this time in this place right now in the name of Jesus. It's our desire to want so badly to affect this world for change. And I don't know what the hearts of people around us are going to be. And we could reach out to 20 different people and, you know, in the next month and 20 different people continue to say no to coming to church or hearing about Jesus from us. And God, I would just ask that you would help us to remain faithful to you, to do those things that Joshua was doing, to make sure that we are zealous for you, dear Heavenly Father, to make sure that we find ourselves doing the things that you call us to do, to find ourselves in the place that will draw us close to you and to stay away from those places that are doing evil and those things that you would would not be pleasing to you. If we would do that and honor and glorify you, be zealous for you, we could be assured of one thing for sure. No matter the results of the people that we may or may not reach by your grace in Jesus Christ, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. May that be the motivation for our outreach. May that be the motivation for reaching out to a world that needs Jesus. And as we do that, will you exalt yourself through us, dear Heavenly Father. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen.